Awaken Your Alpha Woman. Episode one, American Foundations, Racism, and a President's Black Family. Betty Kiss. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. This episode marks our first new weekly Awaken Your Alpha Woman show to be released every Monday on top of our regular Thursday show. Let us know if this is something you want more of through sharing, subscribing, and leaving us a review. This format will initially run for a few months while I see if the right host is ready to take over the show and how it is received by you, the listeners. I could not think of a better woman to start this evolution at a better time having just celebrated another Independence Day here in the States. Betty Kiss is one of the most important interviews I have done. Please do reach out, share, and let me know what you think. But let's dive into this one. This is powerful stuff. And what comes out of this is there are no easy answers, but we've got to have this dialogue. We've got to have these conversations. All right, Awakening Round for women out there and men. Let's dive into this one. This is a crucial subject. And I've got some absolutely stunning, impressive, awesome alpha women coming for you every week every monday for the foreseeable future so let's dive in with episode number one of awaken your alpha woman betty kiss the awaken your alpha podcast hi i'm adam lewis walker founder of awaken your alpha the number one personal leadership podcast network that is also a best-selling book awaken your alpha towels and tactics to thrive and also a tedx talk awaken your alpha how to rise up you can see a theme here but please do check these out if you like the talk if you like the podcast you will love the book the book is the best of the best and it's available on amazon this podcast is brought to you by the talk accelerator helping thought leaders increase influence income and impact by achieving their talk if you'd like to find out more about how you can get onto the red spot please do head over to talkaccelerator.com that's talk x C-E-L-E-R-A-T-O-R.com. How to secure and smash your own TEDx talk. You can also book in your complimentary idea clarity call there to talk through any potential ideas you may have. Get to the podcast. I want to tell you something about this interview. You have asked some really hard questions. <laughs> and, you know, questions which I don't know that there's an answer. Racism yeah. is a tough nut to crack. And just when you think you have gotten somewhere with it, it flares up in a form somewhere else that you might not recognize. Yep. It has transformed. And you have to deal with this new form in an entirely different way. This week is a really important episode and something I'm really interested and really keen to dig into. And I think this is something we need to talk about very relevant at the moment and it's very relevant all the time, in, especially in this country. We've got Betty Kearse on the line. She's a retired pediatrician and geneticist. Her writing has appeared in the Boston Herald, River Teeth, and Black Lives Have Always Mattered, and was listed as noticeable in the Best American Essays of 2014. She lives in New Mexico. She's the descendant of a former president, James Madison, and she's got her book, most recent book, The Other Madisons, The Lost History of a President's Black Family, there's so much we can dig into and so many things we need to talk about today. But firstly, Betty, are you ready to awaken your alpha? I'm ready. I felt like it's quite a thorough introduction, but is there anything else you'd like to add or highlight? What are you all about at the moment? Well, um, as you did say, I'm a retired pediatrician. 
And I worked in inner city Boston for more than 30 years and I really loved it. But all too often my black patients would reveal that racism had convinced them that they didn't have any talents, that they didn't have anything to offer, they didn't have any futures except jail or an early grave through violence. And so it was a sense of hopelessness um, that really disturbed me. And, you know, I knew how to take care of their medical needs, but I didn't really know how to take care of this sense of hopelessness. But then I remembered my grandfather saying, racism is just a feeble leftover of slavery. So he was saying that um, slaves, he also said that slaves were really remarkable people who built this country. So what he taught me and my mother and my brother and anybody he could speak to was that uh, slaves had incredible inner strengths, a sense of hope by which they survived and had many, many talents by which they contributed in every way um, to America and ultimately to the nation. But those qualities did not die with them. They passed them down to their descendants, including those of us alive today. And so I want to encourage um, African Americans to embrace their slave ancestry and to nurture their own inner strengths and talents and to develop their sense of hope so that they too can not only believe in themselves, but also make contributions. So that is the main thing I want to um, get across today and anytime I have the opportunity to speak. Awesome. And we touched a lot on like your, you know, your origins there and, you know, descendant of a president. And we've got the book here. I've got my physical copy for those who see this in the video, The Other Madisons, digging into this. And I see your, your family tree and something that comes, comes up as well. Again, I'll probably mis mispronounce it after all that, but griots and griots, And that's a male and female. And can you explain to it, and probably um, <laughs> pronounce it better than me, can you explain to me what that concept is? And that, because you are, you describe yourself, and your daughter is one as well. What, what do you mean for someone who isn't familiar with this term? Well, I'm a griot, and it is yeah. spelled G-R-I-O-T-T-E. And those are the um, female oral historians based on the West African tradition of griots, G-R-I-O-T-S, who are males and the griots like myself. Griots and griots. Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> and it's um it's an ancient West African tradition going back thousands of years. And the tradition is oral history. It's telling the stories of your ancestors and the histories of your people and passing those down from generation to generation to generation. So griots and griots are oral historians. Mm. And in terms of your origins, I mean, how far back do we go? But where are you originally from? Where are you speaking to us from? So I think you said Boston as well. Tell us a little bit how you got to this point, an author, 
sharing these stories and obviously you've got a very interesting past and history and current. So talk to us a little bit about your personal journey. Well, I became the griot for my family in 1990. And that is when my mother turned over to me an old cardboard box of family memorabilia. And this passing on of this box meant that it was my turn to take over this pretty awesome. I'm curious, do you, do you, have, do you have a choice in this? Is it kind of, a, it just comes naturally to you and they're kind of like, hey, this is your thing? Or how does that work? Well, I, in my case, I was a bit surprised, although I shouldn't have been. <laughs> my mother used to sew for me. And she was a very exacting, meticulous uh, seamstress. And so I'd be standing by her sewing machine and she would sew a seam and make me try on the dress and him fix the hem and make me try on the dress and do this and that and make me try on the dress. And I would get really antsy and uh, try to get away. But she realized that if she started telling me these family stories, that I would stand still <laughs> and be a lot more cooperative. My, bro my brother was a boy, so he didn't have to go through all that. So he, he heard the stories too, but not as often. Something you've got in the book at the start of the book is the, the full sort of family tree or how it all fits together and all these generations going back, James Madison and beyond. Or it's not, yeah, it's it goes new. back to England. Yeah, I saw that. And yeah, and it has UK, Virginia, Tennessee, Texas, California, UK again. Your great-grandfather, Mac, is that his name? Mac was a slave, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's yes. only a few generations back. It's very interesting history. And in England, we don't get taught American history to this level. James Madison, talk to us about his story. And I know, obviously, that you know, this is the lost history of a president's black family. Almost like a teaser trailer for the whole book, I suppose, because I'm interested. I'm going to be digging into this more and more. But like someone's like, OK, what is kind of the, the whole situation? Who is James Madison? How did this all come to be? Well, James Madison uh, was the fourth uh, president of the United States. And he, he um, did not have any children. He married Dolly Madison when he was um, in his 40s and Dolly was 17 years younger, but they didn't have any children. And he really wanted children. He had a, a stepson because Dolly had been married pre previously, but he wanted children. So when they came to Virginia, they were married in Philadelphia, but when they came to Virginia in 1787, they didn't have any children. They didn't bring any children with them. And James Madison saw a slave that uh, his father owned, and her name was Corrine. And he became attracted to her. But I need to back up a little bit about yeah. that, of who Corrine is, Corrine was. She was actually James Madison's half-sister because mm -hmm. The, her mother was a slave whose name was Mandy, who was captured in Ghana and ended up on James Madison Sr.'s plantation. And the president's father, you know, saw Mandy and took advantage of her. Yeah. And that was how Kareem came about and why 
Kareen and James Madison Jr., the future president, were, were half siblings. And I, you know, I sort of got lost on what you asked for. No, no, I'm because just this story no, this is, is really helpful for me because I'm looking at it. <laughs> so it was just around James Madison and, and how the connection come because obviously, I mean, interracial relationships, even back then, you know, it's, I mean, it's still even now we're going to talk right up to present day and the sort of the racism in America and, and, the, mm -hmm. and in the world in general. But so just around James Madison, you know, the fourth president, you talked about that and you just wanted to back up. So James Madison Jr., the, the president, he wasn't the president at the time, got with Corrine, who was a, a slave. And then they had Jim. I, I'm looking at, I, I'm only looking at this family, Correct. the family tree. Right. And then there's a few question marks. I mean, it's just so interesting looking at, and I do recommend people get the book. A bit of your origins and the connection to James Madison. And, and James Madison had a son who was sold away. And so he was my, um, Jim was my great, great, great grandfather. And the reason he was sold was that Jim and one of Dolly Madison's nieces had fallen in love, which was a tremendous no-no. Mm -hmm. That just was not allowed to happen. So that speaks to the importance of, of the consequences of racism. My ancestor, my African-American ancestor was um, sold away. And you know, to, to prevent this interracial relationship from proceeding. And so he ended up in Tennessee and he never saw this young woman again and he never saw his mother again. But I wanna say that some of these interracial relationships were not all that uncommon, especially between slave masters and the slaves that they owned. Yeah. So, and also it's interesting, how hard was it to dig out this kind of detailed information, family tree? And did, was, was there kind of things pe like people trying to cover it up, especially for a president and they're trying to like hide certain things? You'd say like people sending people away or how easy was this information to come about? Well, I was, you know, I was very fortunate to have a strong oral history tradition in my family, and, yeah. know, as I mentioned before. So the, the stories were told from generation to generation and we're really very solid on that. Um, what has been difficult is the paper trail. Mm. So for one thing, slaves often weren't named um, in, in documents. The other thing that was made it hard is that there were a lot of fires. Some, um, especially well-to-do families would have their personal papers burned. And another reason it's hard to have a paper trail, as I said, some people were just sold and sent away and yeah, that's, that's what never saw each other again. Wow. It's a huge topic. And at any point, if you feel like we're missing the, the real issues or the folks of it, please do steer it because I've only been in this country for less than five years. In your whole lifetime, talk to me about growing up from your position um, in America racism experiences and the evolution of racism has it evolved or you said something before the interview i thought it was really interesting that you you feel like at the moment it's it's there and it's just this is obviously highlighting certain aspects of it from an i feel like an outsider looking into a little point but obviously i'm here now it just seems like an absolute mess and it, it just disgusts me and i just i'm like it's just like where to start i mean obviously you've got a much more relevant experience opinion of this having grown up in america as well where to start? Like, how, how has your experiences 
been grown up in this country? Well, where to start? It, it really started in 1619, you know, when, what was it, 401 years ago when slaves first arrived in this country. And, um, you know, Afri people of African descent are no longer enslaved in this country, but the racism um, still exists. So we're not, we're not slaves, but, you know, we all experience racism. And what I had said to you was that right now it's more in your face than it has been for a long, long time. Yeah. People say, oh, racism's really bad in America all of a sudden. But like you said, it's, it's been like this for a long time. It's just, it's harder to avoid it and ignore it with all that's going on. What are some of the key points do you feel in your lifetime that you feel like things have moved forwards? And in sometimes maybe key points in your life when you feel like it's moved sideways or even moved backwards? Oh, has it moved forward? Well, it, it did move forward, or I should say anti-racism, okay? Anti-racism did move forward after the civil rights movement of the 60s, you know, the scene especially, you know, in the South, so the, the segregation of schools and just the manifestation of Jim Crow and, you know, the whites only and black only. Okay, those whites only signs, those black only signs were taken down. And I think things did improve, um, especially in the South. But that doesn't mean that racism went away. So yeah, I'd say that's what I mean. I mean that was quite a long time ago. Like that was like the big the big changes. But like yeah. apart from that, systematically and and you know in in an official and ch big changes in government and policies and and in police forces, have there been any, for your opinion, any major ch positive changes? I'm sure there's little ones all the time, and then there's other times where there's things that have you know, really not help the situation. Like you say, racism is there. It's such a complicated situation. I mean, I'm just really curious to, to get your viewpoint on all of this and things that where you think actually that was, I feel that was a big step in the right direction beyond sort of the 60s. Or, you know, what do you feel has happened in the last 20, 30 years or even in the last five years? Has there, has there been much, much movement in that direction in a positive way or in a, the other way? I mean, you know, so suppose it's been kind of back and forth and up and up and down. Yeah. Um, you know, for example, you know, the civil rights movement accomplished a lot in terms of voting rights. But just in 2013, the Supreme Court backed off or allowed some states to back off voting rights uh, laws. And so that was very painful. That was a big What do you mean big, by that? What's, backwards. Yeah, 20 that's that sounds obviously very recent. What 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 did they do exactly? There was a court case uh, that went a case that went before the Supreme Court about um, states that had bad reputations for voters rights um, suppression. Yeah. And they were to be monitored and um, that was overturned. So oh. 
they were no longer, they could kind of start suppressing the black vote again. And, and this was backed by the Supreme Court. And again, this is going to be easy to do. Imagine I don't know a lot about this subject or as, as much as even the average American. You know, I've not, not been around this for a huge amount of time. And obviously we've got racism in England and it goes in, in all different directions. And over here, it just seems so divisive, you know, in terms of the black and the white thing. The politics seems to be, you know, left, right. It, it's, it seems everything seems very divisive in America. And it always seems like the media is really trying to divide people. And I just don't like to watch the news in general, but especially <laughs> over here, it just seems another level up. As I moved across, I did notice a step up in racism in general if, um, from England to America. Um, you know, there's obviously there's, there's good and bad in all places. What do you think are the, the biggest pressing priorities in terms of problems with the racism thing in America? And what do you feel is the way forward? And, and, and in the flip side, what do you think the country is really getting wrong in terms of trying to solve this problems or improve the situation? Well, I think the, the biggest problem and why racism just doesn't go away is that black people have always been considered lesser. And that means they're thought not to be as intelligent. They're not thought to be as de uh, deserving of some of the rights given by the Constitution. They're not deserving of good health care, um, good education. Uh, and it, it just goes on and on, just, you know, in almost every way of human life in America that you can think of, African Americans are just not thought to be as worthy. And this actually goes back to the uh, U.S. Constitu Constitution in 1787. Black people were counted as uh, three-fifths of a person in terms of representation and taxation. They were thought of as a threat to um, the internal tranquility of, uh, of America. You know, there, there were um, slave insurrections, but no wonder, you know, black people were just as human, just as talented, just as deserving, but that was not being given. So there were insurrections, but the constitution saw to it that those um, efforts to uh, get some kind of rights were to be um, suppressed. And so from the moment that this country came into being, Black people have been denied many, many basic rights. And you see yeah. that today. That's why the African-American community um, has poor health and therefore more subject to um, poor outcomes if they developed uh, COVID. Yeah. Uh, Betty, I, I wonder, there's been slavery all over the planet and, you know, slavery in England and, and you know, lots of countries have done bad, you know, bad things in the past. Why do you think this seems to be dragged so far up to current day and America, it seems in some ways, just struggling to shake off this, you know, this ridiculous level of racism in, in, in institutionalized sort of level. And, and you have things like the George Floyd just happened and, the, and, the, and people, you know, going out and protesting and then the riots and, and just 
I don't know. It just seems like there's, there's people in power that are not making it easy to get rid or, you know, just continue the reduction of ignorant racism. It seems like there's almost more places of safe haven for racists and this sort of thing to continue. It just seems progress seems so slow. What, what are your thoughts around this and the current situation and, and how individuals and how we can move forwards and make things better? <laughs> how okay how we can make things better i mean i i hate to go into politics and i won't do it deeply but i do think yeah i can't stand i can't stand i can't vote that's, making that's, that's why work. i stay out of it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems like it, are some things just need to start from scratch because you said about the constitution and loads of other issues like guns and different things that people are like right, we have to have it like this. And it seems, and it seems like change is very hard to come about. Obviously, in, in all countries, change is generally slow. It seems in America, there's certain things that are, should be really like aggressively stamped out that just dragging on and seems like progress is very slow. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on the reality of the situation and what we realistically can, can do to move forwards? Well, you know, the reality is that you know this country is was founded on racism it was built on the backs of um, enslaved africans and you know there's always sort of this tr trend to maintain the status quo so once slavery was abolished, the, you know, there was sort of a resistance for acceptance of change. You know, the change is, is um, very, very, very hard. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, but I mean, yeah. countries like Britain's got a very, a very bad past as well. So just in comparison. So I, I don't feel like we can give that as an, ex okay, I, we get that it's got a bad path. I feel like I just don't want to give it America an excuse of, oh yeah, we're, we're built on slavery. So but I still feel like stuff should be able to improve. Like, I feel like there's some pretty much almost openly racist people in positions of power in America. And I feel like, I'd like to think in England, if you're, you can't be openly racist and be in a position of power because we get, you know, you generally, they get the sack because it's not tolerated. And what are your thoughts around that? But it is tolerated here. No, that's what I'm saying. It is, it's not yeah, tolerated I mean, in, yeah, in England. It, I, if someone's like been shown to be racist, to even to a certain level, they're generally gone. It's very hard for them to stay in a position of power if they're seen as racist. But there are so many racists who are voting. I know. I mean, that's... I mean, this is the... Well, this is, this, I'm saying it, it's, such a, it's such a problem. Where do you start? Like, what smart people coming up with realistic ways that you can start to, you know, accelerate the improvement. Cause I like to think it has got better, but then I, I, I don't know sometimes. I mean, I, and even let's I could go down to the micro level. It's very much in the news at the moment. If we're not starting in politicians, then what about the, the police? I mean, as a white person, they, they scare me in general. I mean, <laughs> like, like I just in, feel like in they've the got US? too much power. Yeah. They yeah. don't scare me in the UK. I, I genuinely feel if I'm in the UK, I feel like they're there to, protect and serve yeah and i hear i i feel like they're out to get people in a certain way and like i don't feel safe i i just stay away from them and I, i've heard lots of stories where people don't call the police because you know they, they bring more trouble than they stop in a lot of cases 
and like they seem very aggressive. It's just my, you know, slight. I just give them a wide berth, which it, it disappoints me. And I'm, I say, if if I was had a slight, if I had a darker tan, I don't even know if I'd be in this country because I'd be too scared because I came here by choice. Mm -hmm. So, what what are your thoughts around the police and just starting there of ways we can improve it? Unfortunately, we had this death of um, George Floyd, you know, just a little over two weeks ago, which really brought to head um, decades or even centuries of police brutality. And I, th I think that the reason that his death has sort of brought things to a head is that there was a video. And there have been videos before. But what happened with this particular video is that America, in fact, the world, watched this man die um, right in front of them. It has just said how cruel and how uncaring so if you've seen the picture of that officer, he's looking right at the camera. This is the other thing that freaked me out. Before it's always been from distance, you know, Rodney mm -hmm. King and things like that. They didn't know they're being, you think, oh, if only they knew or they're doing this, we've caught them like behind closed doors. But like you said, this was broad daylight and in a very calm situation, they obviously lied about, you know, how the situation preceding that. And then he's literally staring into the camera to that level of, confidence and and i just thought about what has that guy done to get to that point and how many people has he violated their you know their human rights and all the bad things he's likely done to get to that point where he feels confident enough to do it in broad daylight knowing he's being filmed i just can't believe it mm -hmm. yeah his view right into the camera said that i can do this this is what i've been doing this is what i can do yeah, he's in a system where he thinks he's going to be protected and allowed to do it. That's what concerns yes. me the biggest. And all them yes. officers around him. I mean, the, the thing that, is, it, is that business as usual? I, it's just being filmed this time? Just, I'm afraid so. I just. It is business as usual. And it happens in every community across this country. So, I mean, I think there will be Reform has, the word police reform has been used over and over and nothing has changed. But I think that this particular beauty, uh, video just opened the eyes of everybody um, around the country and around the world. And I, you know, I do think something will happen, but it's just a shame that it took this long and that it took the death yeah. Of, of this, this man. Oh, well, I, I mean, I was a teacher for 10 years and, you know, I know policemen and policewomen in the UK and, you know, I was just, just interviewing a doctor just before this, you know, a police, uh, you know, a teacher, you're looking at four to five years training minimum, a doctor, the ability to, you know, save lives, seven years, a police, a policeman, a policeman or policewoman, police person, whatever you're law enforcement, six months. And they've got more power than a doctor, a teacher. They can remove freedoms and, you know, take life based on their opinion. 
that's you know that's a very good very good point um and and the vetting of potential policemen needs to be much much stronger you know they're how, what do how do they see their role yeah well i mean we we could like you say it's not, there's no simple answers here i mean but no. massive changes need to happen and we could talk about this all day and it Oh, I just feel my blood boiling already. It's just, it's so, it's just very frustration situation. Um, yeah. So I'm going to start to wrap this up with, uh, I always do my alpha round to try and make it a little bit lighter um, on a very serious situation though. But I mean, is there a particular favorite quote of yours that really kind of sums up your approach to life? And well, I think I'll quote my grandfather, <laughs> my Gramps. Um, he said that... Um, our white ancestors conceived of this country, but our black ancestors built it. And apart from your own book, which I'm going to heavily recommend, I read too many sort of self-help type businessy books. And I'm really, I just, the history, I'm really interested to dig into this and your perspective. And the fact I know the author, I'm really excited to dig into the, the other Madisons. Um, but is there any other books that were really impactful for you or you think is uh, relevant to recommend um, there's a book by Isabel Wilkerson. It's called The Warmth of Other Suns. And it's about the Great Migration. So um, in the early part of the 20th century, millions of Black people left the South going West and North in hopes of, you know, better lives. And um, what they met there is something we've been talking about, and that is a different form of um, racism. So it seems that, you know, Black people just cannot escape it. It's just part of this country. But this book, The Warmth of Other Suns, um, I think is a must read. Well, what is the best way for people to connect with you if they want to talk more to you and find out more and continue this conversation? Well, um, I think, you know, I have a website, which is um, www.bettykears.com. So we have to spell my name right, though. It's, yeah, we're putting yeah. in the show notes because, yeah, we've got yeah. want people to follow up in the right way. Betty, it's been an absolute pleasure today. Um, I want to leave you with the last words. Is there anything else you want to say about any, all and anything we've covered today? And thank you so much for spending the time. I just want to remind people what they already know, and that is that African Americans have made incredible contributions to this country uh, since the time they stepped foot here in 1690 to present day. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Live limitless. This podcast is brought to you by the Talk Accelerator, helping thought leaders increase influence, income, and impact by achieving their talk. The Talk Accelerator program, how to secure and smash your own TEDx talk. If you'd like to find out more about how you can get onto the red spot, please do head over to talkaccelerator.com. That's talkaccelerator.com. You can also book in your complimentary idea clarity call there to talk through any potential ideas you may have. What is your idea worth sharing? I'd love to hear about it and I'd love to speak with you very soon.